Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And here's the problem, because they had made all these rules and restrictions and regulations, and they so defined it and overdefined it. Now they were so far from the intent of the law that they forgot the law was made for man and not man for the law. That the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing to people, not a burden. As we start Matthew 12, our focus is turned to the Sabbath. As Jesus and his disciples do things that the Pharisees considered breaking the laws of the Sabbath, Jesus gives his replies in a way that help us get a better understanding of this sometimes misunderstood topic. Matthew chapter 12, first 14 verses, the title of our message, Lord of the Sabbath. We enter in, in this particular portion of Matthew, to a time of ever-increasing hostilities toward our Lord. And it's so ironic that the people who should have readily recognized Him, rejoiced in His coming, submitted themselves to Him, served alongside of Him, they were actually threatened by him. The religious establishment wanted nothing to do with the person of Jesus. And yet their prophets had foretold his coming. The time, the place, the manner. And man, he fulfilled them all. Well, we pick up then at a point where they were dealing with an issue. Well, it had to do with the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting to me that here we are 20 centuries later and people are still arguing about the Sabbath. Are we under it? Do we have to obey it? What does it mean to us as believers? We'll deal with some of those issues, but we need to do it in the context of the issue they were first dealing with. At that time, we read, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, before we read Jesus' defense of all of this and explanation, you need to know that what they were doing was absolutely legal. Deuteronomy chapter 23, 25, there in the law of the Old Testament, made provision for the poor. They were allowed to go through the standing grain fields and also the vineyards, and they could pluck and eat anything that they could take in their hands. They couldn't bring a bucket or a barrel or a bag, though, and take it out. And so it was sort of how they provided for the poor. And in an agricultural society such as theirs, there would be seasons where, hey, anybody could have a bad year. Anyone could be down and out. So they had every right to go through and pluck and eat that stuff. That wasn't really the question. The question was, isn't what they're doing illegal? Not because they shouldn't do it, but they were doing it on a day that the religious establishment over centuries had decided no work should, in any form, no work should be done. Now, a couple of side notes, and I don't want to miss them because they're not the main thing, but they're still important. These disciples had left all to follow him, and here's one of the evidences of it. They were hungry, and they didn't have any way to procure food for themselves. Turns out that Jesus didn't do a miracle every time they needed something. Sometimes they just had to, like the rest of the poor, 
go and glean for themselves. We also see, though, though Jesus didn't work miraculously here to provide, that the Pharisees didn't extend any mercy. They certainly had enough to share. And, well, they weren't really interested in sharing with Jesus' disciples. They were looking for some way, for some reason, to accuse Jesus. And they thought, hey, this just might be it. The charge that Jesus' disciples were violating the Sabbath by working on it. Now, the first mention of Sabbath, and I found this interesting, was in our study Wednesday night. Not the first time the Bible, God ever mentioned it, but the first time the Bible brings it up, Exodus chapter 16, the context was the giving of the manna. And God gave specific instructions concerning its gathering. Now, it was provided daily and miraculously. And he said, I'm going to provide this stuff for six days, but I want you to gather enough on the sixth day so on the seventh day you can just rest and rejoice and worship and relax. Just feast in your tent. You don't even have to come out. You don't even have to gather. You don't have to prepare. Just rest. And so most did, but some didn't. In fact, some thought, hey, well, you know, if, if God's providing, maybe I'll grab some extra on Monday and sleep in Tuesday. Well, that didn't work. Because if they did that, we found in our study that it stunk and maggots bred and you're just like, oh man, what a mess, why'd we do that? And then there were some on the other side of the coin that, that although he said there won't be any on the Sabbath, they went out to try to find it and of course there was none. And, and so basically what happens is God ties this Sabbath deal initially to the manna. Forty years he provided miraculously there in the desert for them. And all they had to do is get up early, go out and, and prepare the stuff, gather twice as much on the sixth day, because on the seventh day, on Saturday, they would not find any for themselves. In Exodus chapter 20, he codifies all this. He makes it a part of the law. And what he does is he says, six days you're to labor, and one day you're to rest. So once they were going to be past the wilderness wanderings, they were moving into the promised land. And in that promised land, and over the years, as they build the tabernacle and later the temple, he's saying, I want you guys to work six days, and I want you to make sure you rest one day. And he takes them not back to Exodus 16, but all the way back to the early part of Genesis, where it says God created, and in six days he created all things, and on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, he Rested. Now, it doesn't say Sabbath back there, as I already mentioned. It just says the seventh day. But the seventh day is, was, and will always be the Sabbath. So God rested. What does that mean? Well, it means he ceased from his labors. You can't really get a picture of God being, whew, I'm pooped, you know, worn out. All that creating and, man, i got to get some rest. No, God has infinite energy. In fact, God is infinite energy and much more. God is love. God is light. God is truth. But don't forget, he's not energy in the sense of a force, you know, or the force. No, God is a person and a personal God. A lot of people today get their theology from movies. And while movies are very entertaining, they often have very poor theology. And so they codify this whole thing, though, in the fourth commandment saying, work six days. Now, lots of us need to hear that second part. That's rest one. Lots of workaholics in our generation. And if you're a person that works seven days a week and you're just thinking, I'm just going to do this for five more years, yeah, you may, or you may collapse in three. But God says, take a day of rest. Is that a law for you? No. It's a provision for you. It's part of his gracious package of, hey, I've got life for you, eternal life abundant, and I want you to rest. Rest in me, and I want you to take a day of rest. 
Now, um, the other thing is there are some of us, I'm sure it's fewer of us that need to hear the first part of that. Work six days and take a day off. Because the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And that's important to know that God calls us to work, to provide. If you're married, you have a family, it says if a man doesn't provide for his own household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel, literally. And so we need to make sure that we're working and we need to make sure that we're resting. Why? God has provided both of those for us. Now, in their context, the confusion arose over what constituted work. And here's what I've noticed. When God gives a commander a direction, it's simple and straightforward. He says, I want you to work six days. I want you to rest one day. Okay, day of rest. What does he mean by not working? How hard is that to conceive? Rest? Worship, enjoy, fellowship, recreate. There's no prohibitions. It's just not working. Well, here's what happens. The rabbinical schools said, well, we've got to define it because the common people will never figure this out for themselves. I mean, clearly God has to be complicated and difficult. So we came up with the rabbinical schools, that is, not we, I wasn't there. Uh, they came up with 39 different areas that defined some kind of abuse as it would relate to working on the Sabbath. Now, Three of these, it turns out, they thought these disciples of Jesus were violating. Three of them had to do with reaping, threshing, and winnowing. Reaping, that's just plucking the heads of grain. Threshing, that would be just separating it out in their hands as they rubbed them together. And then winnowing, they'd blow the chaff away like that. And then they could eat the grain. They'd just eat it raw. And it was delicious, nourishing, took care of them. And they said, these guys are breaking the Sabbath laws. And here's the three laws they were breaking. They were breaking the reaping by the plucking, the threshing by the rubbing, and the winnowing by blowing away the chaff. Now, do you think that's what God actually intended when he started? I mean, was that really what God was thinking? Let's see, we don't want anybody to have to eat anything or go through anything to eat anything on the Sabbath. No. He was talking to farmers, people that would be out working hard in their fields, and he's saying, I know it's harvest time, but you still need a day of rest. I know it's planting time, you still need a day of rest. I know you've got to get the crops in the barn, you still need a day of rest. And God knows best. He is the Father that knows best. And, and he's the one that lays it out for our good and for our best. Well, it was not man's law that, that uh, God was interested in, but his own law. And here's the problem, because they had made all these rules and restrictions and regulations, and they so defined it and overdefined it. Now they were so far from the intent of the law that they forgot the law was made for man and not man for the law. That the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing to people, not a burden. And it had become a burden because of their foolishness in regards to it. Now, there are a couple other things. There are many more, but they went to such a point of absurdity that they had to sit down and say, well, what if a guy has a wooden leg? What do you do? Let's see. Uh, if a guy has a wooden leg and he puts it on on the Sabbath, he's violating the Sabbath law. That's what they decided. Can you believe it? I would think hopping around on one leg all day would be more work than putting on your wooden leg. And then they said, if you got false teeth, no way, don't use them. So, how, I mean, how long does you got to chew with your gums to eat, you know? And way more work to gum your food than to chew it with your false teeth. And so, they had got into this to such a place of absurdity that it's amazing our Lord is as gracious and as kind as He is in dealing with them. 
Now, there's a greater confrontation that comes up a little later, and that, that we'll deal with in a moment because it directly applies to us. I don't think most of this does, but there'll be some things we can glean, and then we'll deal with that major confrontation in a moment. Then he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. He gives them a historical example, and it's an interesting parallel, and here's why. The time that he refers to, and you can read about it in Samuel, I believe 1 Samuel, David is running from King Saul. Now, David has already been anointed as the next king, but Saul's not about to hand over the throne. He's persecuting, pursuing, and trying to basically do away with David. And so in the midst of that, that rejection of David as the next king, as the real and rightful king, there's this direct parallel. That's what's going on with the religious leaders of Jesus' days. And I'm certain that some of his disciples and some of the onlookers were catching it, even if they weren't. You ever been in the middle of an argument and you know somebody else is right to the side? Oh, I know you don't argue. Christians just discuss because it's not right to argue. But you've been in a heated discussion and someone tells you after, your son is so stupid. Did you realize what you said? Maybe it doesn't happen to you. Pam tells me when that happens to me. Why just say that stuff, Sam? You really should think that through, you know? And, but, but here's the deal. These guys are saying, this is wrong. These guys are violating the Sabbath. What's wrong with your disciples? And he says, haven't you ever read, if you ever get into any counseling, they'll tell you those are words you want to avoid. They're called inflammatory words. If you've got a relational problem and you get together with a counselor, they're saying, be careful about inflammatory words. What those are, are words that if she says this and you say this, you know this thing's going to escalate. And so if you're wise, I encourage you to be so. She says this and you think, I don't think I better say that. There's a way to end every argument and that is don't argue. It takes two. But Jesus at this point for necessity is getting into it with them. And when he says, have you not read? Listen, these guys prided themselves on their knowledge of the scripture. There was no part of scripture that you could have quoted to a Pharisee where he couldn't tell you where it was from and then quote the verses before and after and then he would have quoted the stuff that people wrote about it and various translations and interpretations of it. These guys spent their entire life studying the scriptures, talking about the scriptures. So when he says, have you not read what David did? Well, I'm sure that they're like, what do you mean, have we not read? You know we read this stuff. But he says, hey, David went into the house of God, and he took the showbread, which was lawful only for the priest. Now, this was bread that was baked, and there were 12 loaves. They were placed in the holy place in the tabernacle. If you're familiar with David's story, they didn't actually build the temple till after his life. Solomon, his son, builds the temple. So whenever you read about David and the holy place or David and the temple or any of that, it's the tabernacle, the temporary dwelling place there in the wilderness. And so anyway, David, he went in and, and there was this bread. The priest would leave it there for a week and then they would take it. They would replace it with new bread and only the priests were allowed to eat it. Now, this was a law of God, not a law of man. And when David and his cohorts running from Saul, well, they found themselves hungry. They went and said, hey, give us some of that bread. And they, they had no problem with it. Why? They understood that 
that the laws were made to bless people, not as a burden to them. And human need surpasses the law. Now, we know this and we teach it to our children. Here's how we do that. We teach our kids, once you get to drive son or once you get to drive daughter, I want to make sure you don't speed. Now, if you really want to make sure they don't speed, don't speed yourself. Because I've noticed they do what we do, not what we tell them to do. But we teach them it's wrong to speed, wrong to run a red light, wrong to you know run a stop sign. All of those things. Teach them about the right of way on the road. Then all of a sudden an ambulance comes or, or a fire truck. And your kids are sitting next to you and that ambulance flies by, goes right through the red light, speeding past. And your kid looks at you like, what's up with this? Well, what's up with this is human need surpasses that law. Why? Because to save a life or provide for somebody, well, it's more important. The rules, the regulations, they're there for our benefit and protection. But, but human need brings us to a point of, well, we got to look past that or overcome that. And they don't pull over the fire truck to give it a ticket for driving 65 and a 35. Not if they're on their way to put out a fire. And that's what's going on here. Now, I want you to notice a couple things, though. The disciples weren't stealing the grain. There's never a time where it's okay to steal. There's never a time when it's okay to lie. We live in a day of situation ethics, and that's why I bring this up. I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think, well, yeah, human need. I got a need. I think I'll steal and lie. No, you're not supposed to steal and lie. And if you have stolen, the Bible says, let him who stole steal no more, but let him work. Hey, there it is again. Work with his own hands. I'm sure you're all working, but just maybe in case you know someone who isn't and doesn't want to, let him work with his own hands that he can provide for his own family and have access to help those in need. Well, in any case, they weren't breaking the law, not God's law. And when these guys get on them for breaking man's law, Jesus just says, hey, David, he ate the stuff that God said was only for the priest. So, so how do you explain that? Or have you not read, bringing us to yet another example, verse 5, that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless but I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Now, two things, the Sabbath and the temple. He mentions the priest on the Sabbath. And you need to know that lots of people labor for the Lord and, and on his behalf on those days that others have as a day of rest. A couple things in regards to the Sabbath as it would relate to us. First of all, the Sabbath was, is, and will always be Saturday, the seventh day. Sunday's the first day of the week. Why are we gathered today, Sunday? To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which happened on the first day of the week. The early church celebrated the resurrection every single Sunday. But because the early church was birthed there in Jerusalem and most of the first converts were Jews, they continued to also celebrate the Sabbath. The difference is those things that they were doing now had a deeper and more, well, more fulfilling meaning. They began to see that these were shadows, but Christ is the reality, that these were pointing to something far greater that rest wasn't about a day, it was entering into rest in Him, as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us over and over. Make sure we've entered into His rest, that we're resting in Him. And I want to tell you, if you're a person that's trying to be good enough for God, to do good works for God, or be acceptable to God, to toe the line, or keep the law, or live by the Sermon on the Mount, you never rest from those labors. You never do enough. 
But when you enter into a relationship with Jesus where he says, hey, I will impute to you perfect rightness in my father's sight and in mine. I will trade your sin for my righteousness. Then you enter in to real rest. You cease from your labors. And that's what the scripture is all about. Now, on the Sabbath, he says the priest we're working hard, and you got to know that's true. You know, as we gather together week after week here at Calvary Chico, one of the things that happens is the vast majority of people who show up for any given service come to worship and to study. I, I know there are other possibilities. Maybe your air's out and you're just thinking, hey, I, I remember that place, some free AC, the chairs are pretty comfortable, probably get 40 winks, you know, leave refreshed. So that could be a few of you. I've noticed from time to time there are people who just keep staring and I figure it out. They're, they're waiting for the movie to start. They think I'm a commercial and they're like, what happened, you know? Where's the movie? But most of you are here to worship and study. But not everybody in this building came today to worship and study. Do you know it takes 50 people for us to open the doors and do a service like this? 50 people that are serving, most of them in the background. I mean, you see some of the ushers in the hall with bulletins, and, and there are some things going on in the cafe and the bookstore. Those are obvious. But behind the scenes and in every classroom, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and here's what happens. Lots of people come, and this is not a day of rest for them. It's a day of work. Now, we do encourage, and in fact, we require anyone who's serving in our ministry to come to one of the services. So if you were serving third service, you'd need to be here at this one. Or if you were serving first, you'd need to be here at this one or third. And we require that. Why? Because we don't want anyone to serve instead of worshiping and studying. But ultimately, as I shared earlier, our goal is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we expect over time, everyone will find some way to serve the Lord. And hopefully lots of you in context of working alongside us, why, that's the best way to learn to serve in a mentoring relationship where you're next to somebody who's doing something and succeeding in it and you become a part partner and participant. And well, the Lord blesses and uses all of that. My point is this, that Sunday... Well, it's not the Sabbath anyway, but but for me, because Saturday often is a day of work, Monday becomes my Sabbath. And I do believe while we're not under the law, and I'll explain why in a moment, that directly relates to all of us, we're not under the law, we're not required to keep the Sabbath, you know, Saturday Sabbath, as some are caught up in today, but... We do need a day of rest, so I take Monday, and that's my day. Sometimes I have things I have to do on it, but for the most part, that's a day where I'll spend lots of time in the Word, not preparing to teach or, or doing an outline or any of that, just feasting on it and feeding on it, just being cleansed by it and encouraged, just in the Word for my own rest, and then just worshiping the Lord informally, without people, without... It's how I rest, and... Other things add to that, of course. So some of you, maybe it's Monday, maybe it's Friday, maybe it's Saturday, but if you're a seven-day-a-weeker, the Lord wants you to rest. you got to do it. The next thing, though, and, and this is equally important, is, is that they put such great emphasis on the things going on on the Sabbath or going on in the temple. And he says, look, at the priests are in their serving. They're in there butchering, literally, those animals and sacrificing them to the Lord, cooking them and then distributing that for people to eat. And if you're unfamiliar with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, when we finish Exodus, we'll probably look at Leviticus and go through all that. It's fascinating. 
And it's not just a, a gory blood fest where there's sacrifice after sacrifice. No, it's a huge barbecue. And when you see it in that light, it's a whole different thing. There were spiritual implications... But, but the bottom line is those priests functioned, well, like you, Dave, they were butchers, man. They had to cut that stuff up and bleed it and make it happen and cook it for people. And that's what was going on. And so the priests were busy working and lots of people were busy working. And Jesus is saying in the midst of their work, you're not accusing them of anything. And aren't they considered blameless? I have known many workaholics in my life, and one of the most common attributes they share is that they don't necessarily feel a need to rest, but they do not feel they can afford to take time away from work. I would say to that person that setting a time aside and keeping that day holy as God instructed not only renews our strength, but it renews our trust as well. Trusting that our strength and the fruits of our labors are all gifts from Him and not just works of our own flesh. And this is something we need to be reminded of. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.